Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited to talk to the Kings of New York. That's what we're calling this episode. Kelly and um, Steve are coming back on the show to talk to me. And uh, we've had them on the show before. Uh, they put stuff out on social media all the time that I just kind of soak in. They're, they're really mentors for the field. They're obviously practitioners. They're doing the things the right way. And uh, it, it truly is an honor to have them back on the show and just kind of shoot the breeze and talk about EM in the you know near 2022 and beyond. And so let's uh, introduce them. Steve and Kelly, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> hey, John, how you doing? Good. Hey, there, hey, there it is. Hey, how you doing? Um, gosh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get comments from anytime I do something stupid like that on the show, I will get comments, and there will be 100% somebody from New York saying we don't talk like that. Yes, you do. By the way, you definitely talk like that. So uh, let's just catch up real fast. Uh, I think Steve, since the last time we talked, you moved over to Florida. And Kelly, you're obviously doing stuff in New York. You've been putting out some really good uh, stuff lately. Um, and so just you want to catch us, catch us up of what you guys been working on for the last six months or so? Maybe start with uh, Kelly. Yeah, so, you know, um, we're here. Uh, I'm on 34th Street and 1st Avenue in, in Manhattan at uh, NYU. And we are, um, you know, it's just, it's just the busiest time in new york that it could possibly be we uh, we got through a a worldwide coronavirus pandemic and then we had you know some just some intermittent uh periods of social unrest we're having um you know we had we had labor issues across the the the, the healthcare system not necessarily um with uh you know in in, in my uh organization but um, it's just been one, one thing after another, and now we've got monkeypox. Uh, we've got, we've still got uh, COVID nineteen in the city, um, and um, you know we're, we're we're moving into a hot summer, and in New York City, uh, power is a big issue. Um, we've got the Fourth of July on Monday night, mm. and we're at Thirty Fourth and Four and First Avenue, right on the East River, and there will be four barges. Um, uh, right offshore on the East River with about 90 tons of ordnance. Fire off fireworks and there'll be upwards of a million people on a closed FDR drive right or in and around the campus here. So we're going to have, we'll be activated. We'll have a hazmat team, you know, standby team on site just in case, you know, just, just uh, to, to uh, hope for the best and plan for the worst. But, you know, it just, it's just 24 seven around here. It has been for, well, I mean, I'm in the business in New York 20 years. It's been 24-7 the whole time. So. A city that doesn't sleep, truly. I mean, wow. 90,000 90, tons? Is that what you said? No, I think it's 90 tons. Oh, 90 tons. Still a lot. I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and you know what? That's probably not a correct statement. And, and I heard it in the meeting a couple of days ago, and I, and I, and I didn't write it down. So let's just put a lot of fireworks for, I think it's about a 25 minute show off four barges. So, um, you know, it'll be, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a lot of ordinance. Let's put it that way. The, the real question is, uh, because of where you're located on the campus and your EOC, do you actually get to observe barring any, any, any issue? Do you have like a great view of it? Yeah, it's a, tr it's a tremendous view. And, and I mean, we just, so we walk out of, uh, Kimmel, which is our, uh, sort of flagship, 
hospital here and we have a uh, i don't know a lot of folks are familiar with it there's a there's a a 50 foot um te- uh dog uh named spot statue mm-hmm. with a taxi he's balancing a taxi on his nose a full-size taxi and you stand by spot and you look at the fireworks it makes a great uh, uh instagram shot that's pretty cool actually that's actually way cool um so let's talk about july 4th in a second here with uh, a lot going on in the u.s but just to catch up, Steve, and into this, Steve, can you give a quick update for our audience? Sure. So since since we uh, met last, uh, I had actually uh, just gotten to Florida in West Palm Beach, beautiful West Palm Beach. In fact, what I'm looking at directly in front of me is what we call the Lake Worth Lagoon or the Intracoastal Waterway. So I'm looking at Palm Beach Island, incredible view of yachts and super expensive homes and uh, uh, just a just a an incredible view not that i'm not familiar with water views having grown up in coney island brooklyn on the beach but this is just uh, this is coming out of colorado so for the last eight years before uh coming back to florida i was an emergency management director for uh, a, a power and water utility in colorado for colorado's second largest city uh you know responsible for emergency management for dams uh and, uh, you know, electric generation, transmission, distribution, uh, gas, natural gas, water and wastewater. Uh, that's all in addition to my uh, my state and local and private sector emergency management background. So what I'm doing right now is I'm chief operating officer for an emergency management consulting company out of the D.C. Beltway. And I'm also project manager, no surprise, for uh, a large project that our organization is doing for the uh, power industry, doing emergency management planning, uh, exercises, and a number of electric reliability projects. Real quick, we're gonna pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue in collapsed and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. The Readiness Lab is trailblazing disaster readiness. Early access for the highly anticipated course, Emergency Management Response for Dynamic Populations is currently live. Think you have what it takes? Join us in Atlanta for an immersive experience. Space is limited to 40. Go to thereadinesslab.com forward slash training to learn more. Okay, let's jump back in. So you're not busy at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. you know, we got to keep the, somebody's got to keep the lights on. So we just want to help out the industry. So let's talk, let's, let's talk about like that. First of all, you're both of you are talking about these beautiful views that you have. I love living in the Midwest, but I'm going to walk out and there will be a lot of concrete in buildings and then then basically nothing. So uh, <laughs> I'm very jealous of you. Also, it's been four years. I, I, I was talking to my wife. It's been four years since I've taken a vacation. And both of those descriptions, my body is just like yearning to like just to see that, to experience just like the decompression, uh, you know, getting away from work. Uh, and yet the work has uh, been incredibly fulfilling in itself. 
there's a lot happening and both of you've been talking about uh this on social media you'll you'll post articles you'll share your thoughts on it especially kelly on uh, on linkedin i like to gobble that stuff up uh the world feels like it's truly in commotion like between the covid responses and the the multiple iterations of covid and uh the coronavirus truly and uh you know, major decisions, we don't get into politics at all, but major decisions impacting how people react to those decisions and uh, on both sides of the aisle. And um, civil unrest is real and it continues to, to, to build. Um, as you both have, ha- have experienced both the urban environment and different environments, I also found out uh, from Steve before the podcast, Kelly, that you're from Kansas. Yeah. So, uh, Welcome back, sir. But uh, in terms of understanding different lifestyles and perspectives and world of just constantly dealing with disasters, I, I love it as an emergency manager, oddly enough. I, I get a lot of uh, uh, out of using my profession in the way it should be used. And yet at the same time, haven't taken a vacation in four years, and a lot of people haven't. How do you both manage both the... I wouldn't say onslaught, but the onslaught of disasters and the the revolving door of uh, incidents, and yet managing that on an individual level. I mean, either of you, how do you deal with that? Well, for for, for me, you know, um, it, it has been, um, you know, when you're immersed in it, you start to learn some lessons and and really for us you know for for emergency managers i mean we're we're essentially change agents you know and and uh the world the 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 pace of change in in society in the world is is uh is ever increasing and and accelerating and that that really is the the theme that you know uh the the you know the, the society we live in is changing you know, overnight, and and there's so many factors, right? So we have, you have the the, the international strategic factors. You have the the threats from China. You have the the Russia Ukraine crisis that's ongoing now, and the impacts of that, right? That there are secondary and tertiary impacts from the Russian invasion, and there's a there's a lot of discussion now about the food crisis that's going to be uh, uh, resulting from the fact that. You know, uh, Russia and Ukraine are uh, the world's grain belt, and um, there, there'll be uh, shortages of wheat in, in in around in and around the Middle East that that could trigger social unrest, and uh, and and then and then Russian gas supplies to to Europe. There's a there's fear that that uh, it's going to be a very cold winter in the homes in 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 Germany and in Spain and in and in and in France and. Uh, and then all of that's feeding into inflation, and so the inflationary uh, uh, pressures are, are are enormous. I mean, you know, I am a sort of business radio junkie, and and um, uh, you know, they talk about this this unprecedented time. You know, the the Fed has lost control of the issue, and interest rates are going to start to climb uh, incessantly. And you know, those are risks too. Those are those those uh, emergency management plays a role if. If all of a sudden there's widespread unemployment or there's bread lines or there's, uh, uh, you know, food instability or, or uh, instability at, at, the, at the gas pump. And um, so all of these things factor in. And we, we really just have to always be thinking two steps ahead, three steps ahead and preparing people for that. I mean, 
it, 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 there's a there's a world of difference between somebody who's thrust into a situation that they never expected and somebody who who uh, enters a situation where they've had somebody tell them, look, this is about to happen. You should think about it. You should plan for it. And, and it's really just about, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, affecting the thinking processes of, of, of so many people. And then it, so it, it, it goes back to communication. Uh, it goes back to connections and coordination, and that's really that, that's really where emergency management comes in. Uh, yeah, it's a great segue, Kelly, uh, into what I was thinking. John, the way I look at it, there's three contemporary emergency management models, or I should say three working models. So you have the contemporary or standard emergency management model, you know, mitigation planning, response, and recovery. Then you have a crisis management model where um, the organization, by the very nature of its location or the threats that it encounters, have a have to lean in. Crisis management um, is a term I prefer to use over incident management because that has um, uh, thoughts of incident command and federal, state, local structures, and sometimes we're just dealing with an. Uh, an uh, you, you know, Kelly and I have an enter, are, are currently, or I, up until recently, I was in enterprise background. Crisis management could be something that has nothing to do with the outside, it's an, an internal crisis. And then you have the resilience model, which is kind of this new, you know, evolving model. It's talked about very frequently, very, very robustly on social media, but I'm not quite sure it's, it's matured yet to the point where it actually has, has, uh, has some impact. What Kelly is is, um, is 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 painting a picture of, and what how I'd like to tie a little bow around that is saying emergency managers need to operate within the construct of all those models, because while emergency managers need to do mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery, maybe there's resilience in mitigation and and stuff like that. We have to be at a moment's notice, be ready to activate and to go uh, hot from cold. Uh, if there's a no-notice sudden-onset event, tornado. I spoke about this last time we got together. Hurricane, right? I'm in Florida. I have t- hurricane experience and some tornado experience from Colorado, wildfire experience. We know hurricanes coming from, f- could be weeks out, right? I've been watching today ni- uh, Invest 94L and 95L for o- five days already. One of these is going to turn into Tropical Storm Bonnie probably tonight or, or the day after. So we know we know that. And then you have the resilience model, because if once an incident happens and we go hot, then we got to go into recovery mode. And recovery uh, is going to be uh, a challenge unless we have some sort of resilience uh, built into it. So, yeah, great call outs from both of you. And um, so like working backward there, the. The emergency managers ultimately have to be strategic, project management focused. I am. I have seen a lot of people saying emergency managers shouldn't be in response. And I'm going to say, hey, did you forget the word emergency in emergency management? And yet we should do everything to reduce response as fast as possible as a, as a strategic uh, thing. And, uh, you know, thinking from cold to hot, I was at the National Hurricane Conference actually with the readiness lab doing like the media partner stuff. And I got a call from a client saying, hey, should we evacuate our, uh, our, our college campus? I said, can you please tell me what's going on? And uh, we were hired to write a, a plan, but he just wanted another emergency manager to kind of ping off of. And they had a facility down the road. Uh, they hadn't completed their hazard vulnerability assessment, but 
they're worried about plumes coming onto the campus. And so I said, first, you know, are you talking to the fire chief? Are you talking to the first responders? Is there a problem there? And essentially the three decision makers, the emergency manager, the communications director, and the president got in the room and the president looked at the emergency manager and said, should we evacuate? And then he said, let me call, let me call John. He has a little more experience with this. So he calls me and said, you know, and so I'm, I'm 2000 miles away at a yep. conference, very quickly looking up in my phone, asking him whose stakeholders are, who has some more situational awareness on there, help them make the decision to evacuate better to save a life than to, to be nervous. It was also on a Friday. So good timing, just get out, go home a little early. Nobody could hurt. There was a plume. It, it didn't impact anybody. Totally fine. And um, that's that cold to hot moment. There's a weird, I want to say it's not even adrenaline at this point, but there's like, I almost live for that moment. I want to be one of the, and I'm, I'm sure so many of us in, on this audience are listening and you guys as well. You want to be there in the room and you want to be one of the people that people can call and trust and to be able to, to help out at the same time, you don't get to turn off very well. And uh, going back now here round Robin to Kelly and the, the world impacts of this stuff is very telling to me when NATO asked, uh, asked what last September for me to be the keynote at their urban environment summit, because they wanted to understand how emergency managers help out civilian populations, which led to this is my fun, funny, the funniest story ever. A general in Europe who has my email address, by the way, messaged me on Instagram early February and say, do you know how to set up a refugee camp in Poland? On Instagram, right? And so I was like that hot to cold, cold moment. But the, the world impacts of the DOD and our partners are looking more and more at emergency management and saying, there's going to be large scale events. We do really good with that tactician stuff. We need to understand civilian military operations and or you know how emergency management pr uh, principles of sheltering and this stuff to be able to be more effective because they're learning that truly emergency managers at our core are, are humanitarians and we want to help people. And that also reduces the threat of violence, uh, especially as they have they have looked at, you know, siege has become. Um, you know, illegal and international law. And so although our our enemies don't follow, we follow that. We don't do siege anymore. And uh, that means um, we need to interact with civilian populations, or they do. And so it's really telling to me about the state of affairs around the world and uh, the conversations that are have happening, the training that's starting to happen, the integration. And... Um, man, it makes me want to step up my game so much more because if they call me, I want to be intelligent. I want to actually give them good information and good analysis to be able to do their job. But again, uh, not a great opportunity to, to really shut off. And so, you know, I'm going to throw my New York hat on for a minute, even though I'm sitting in Florida and was in Colorado recently, obviously, you know, isn't that like a New York thing to do, by the way, to retire into Florida. Isn't yeah, that it kind of is. I ended the whole family's here. So they, they, they moved here when I was in Colorado. So I decided right. to come here. And anyway, I heard there was good pastrami here. So, so that <laughs> works. Pastrami, yeah. So you talk about world events impacting emergency management, and this is where emergency management has to be prepared to respond to all world events, especially if you're in a global center such as New York. I'm going to date myself by saying during the Gulf War in 1991, or pre, in the days leading up to the Gulf War, I was on a team that was responsible for the development of emergency repatriation plans and casualty uh, 
collection plans for military. Wow. And it was it was significant planning effort. Newark Airport was designated a casualty clearing uh, reception center for the military. Military yeah. casualties would, would have come into Newark and then be dispersed through the uh, NDMS, National Disaster Medical uh, uh, NDMS system, system throughout yeah. uh, the, the NDMS network, preliminary, mostly VA hospitals throughout the country. And then the emergency repatriation plan, of which Kennedy Airport was designated as repatriation center, uh, was going to be where casualty, casualties and civilian uninjured were going to become to be repatriated by the State Department. So I didn't sign up for that, and there we were, and there we were doing that. And, there you are, you yeah, know, yeah. So it's a good but example, a great of, honor, of, right? Of At the same time, a, a great opportunity to serve and to help, uh, even during a, a catastrophic incidents that you don't want to deal with, and yet you had a, an expertise that they needed, right? And um, you know, yeah, and, and you know that, that that expertise, and I'm speaking to the to your audience now, the emergency managers. That expertise has was not for me at the time uh, that I was uh, had any expertise in repatriation or that I had expertise in uh, casualty clearing, although I did have an EMS background, special operations and all that. But it had to do with the fact of emergency managers being planners and organizers and conveners and collaborators. Those are the skill sets we as an industry bring to the table. Great yeah, I, I, I just want to... I just want to echo that. I mean, you know, that term manager, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you talk to people, you talk to, um, you know, if you talk to like a special forces uh, uh, officer or you talk to a, you know, a crane operator, you know, there's a disdain for managers because they see managers as being people who sit in offices and they don't do work. They just tell other people to do work. But there is an element of truth to that because, you know, I don't set up refugee camps. I do not um, I do not treat uh, patients in, during a pandemic. I do not um, you know, I do not uh, uh, pick up debris after a building collapse. I, I, I'm a manager. So uh, my my core mission is to enable that to happen, to enable that effective action. And I only have one skill set. There's just one. And it's that coordination skill set. I know who to get on in, into the conversation. I, I, you know, like to, so if, if somebody asked me, you know, uh, can you put a refugee camp in Poland? My first my first task would be uh, it's, it's like that Allen said, you know, he, he finds he has those dogs that hunt. I would try to find all the dogs that hunt that have anything to do with refugees in Poland and get them on the phone and just start working that issue. And, and we all know how to do it. And so that first conversation is going to be rough and people are going to be like, you know, I don't know this and, and we can do that. And you, and then you move into a second and you just, you know, you make that second call and that third call and that fourth call. And eventually you're going to find and and plug in the right machine that's going to enable that to get done. And so that's what we do. We do it for And, and so I'm here. It's, I'm here in, 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 in healthcare six years. And so the, my colleagues around here, the clinicians, they say that I'm a, I'm very good on the content, and, and and I probably am. I probably know more about healthcare than I ever wanted to know. But but it's that's not the the value that I bring. The value that I bring is I know it across this organization who to get in the conversation when, and and how to facilitate the right conversation so we can get the you know get moving and get uh and 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 get the things done that we need to. Whether it's a 
whether it's in the moment of a response or a recovery or even mitigation or, or risk management, whatever the whatever the issue is, it's always that same process. You know, John, you I, I have said to I have espoused the philosophy and I have said this at Museum and people that have worked, worked for me roll their eyes when I say it. Everybody has a seat at the table. And if you think somebody doesn't need to be there, invite them anyway, because you never know what background they have, what logistical asset they have, what capability they bring to the conversation. Yeah, great, great, uh, great point about bringing all the people in. I mean, Kelly, you could have read my email to the to that general back. I'm like, hey, here's all the people. Yeah. And here's all their contact information and I'll help you. And I just started coordinating all people. Did right. I go to Poland? Absolutely not. Was I there? You know, was I building tents? Right. No. But yeah. were, were you knocking the stakes in the ground of the tents that that people were? No. No. But but, but that's but, okay. You know. But thanks to you, you know that that the job got done and. Well. And, and that and that but that's the other thing and this is the last thought about this, John. You know, it, it, and the, the if there's ever a phrase that works for emergency management is this one. It's amazing what you can get done if you don't care who gets credit for it. And and we almost never, never get credit for any of this stuff. And that's fine. But you can move a mountain if you give everybody else credit for doing stuff, even though you're the one behind the scenes that got everybody in the room and figured it out and, and got everybody moving and wrapped around the mission. Uh, but but emergency managers sit in the background and, and they and they see it happen and they get the satisfaction from helping people. But but we're not the ones up front, you know, uh, getting the getting the credit for, it. and that's and that's so fine. This is uh, this is uh, a topic so that I've hit on a lot, almost every episode lately. Uh, probably good for a good time now. We've have hundred, you know, hundred plus episodes where I I've been stressing how we need to look at the words that we use as an industry and the terms that we use, and if they are understood from other. people. I understand that every industry have has their unique set of terms and acronyms for every industry. It's not unique to emergency management, although sometimes we do think we're the only ones with acronyms. However, when we're using words that are in the dictionary and they're different than the definition in the dictionary, we start to create confusion. And so one of the things that I appreciate in the word coordination, because my definition of emergency management of emergency management is very simple. So it doesn't just apply to public safety, but hospitals and college campuses and sports arenas. Very simple is better in my perspective. But the magic word is there is coordination. Right. I think whoever came up with the term emergency manager was a genius because they that sounds like we have a lot of authority and more authority than we typically do have. And so it's gr- good for messaging. But truly, if if we were looking at this honestly as a as a field, and I think what would help us more as a field is to say that we're emergency coordinators or emergency, this is going to be even more touchy, emergency services coordinators. And I think of emergency services, everything from first responders to utilities, anybody who's involved in restoring life as is, ESFs, emergency support functions, is within emergency services. And so if it's my job to help out the Salvation do their job, Salvation Army to do their job, or to coordinate supply chain, or to uh, uh, Joe Delamura had a great episode. He's a logistics guy, and all of a sudden he's calling Coca-Cola to change a factory from making bottles to making vials during COVID, right? What a great opportunity to show that coordination piece. And uh, I, I wonder, 
I wonder if it's almost too late in the game to to kind of look at these phrases or these definitions that we use and say, maybe we should adjust so that the people that we answer to who are not in this field understands that I'm not carrying a weapon. I'm not hosing down the building. I'm there to move the other debris out of the way so the tacticians can do their job. I don't know. Thoughts? Agree, disagree? I'm, I'm seeing nodding heads. Maybe yeah, I, crazy. I, yeah? I, th I, th I think it might be too too far into the game because emergency management has has become part of the lexicon and emergency yeah. managers are recognized and respected in, in, in many places. If not for having that frontline command authority, if, if, if done right, as Kelly suggested, through um, the incredible influence that that we bring, we bring to the table based based on our background. So, um, you know, I'm gonna I don't want to get too wonky and talk about meta leadership, but if you study that and you understand that, and I would encourage emergency managers to do that. In short, it's essentially managing up, down, left, and right, 360 uh, through influence with very little given authority. Now, over the years, emergency managers. That. And over the years, emergency managers have had tremendous authority. The Civil Defense Law of 1950 in New York State gave civil defense directors, emergency management directors, enormous authority. That law is probably still on the books. But given today's politics and the advancement of the emergency management profession, it's probably it's probably a little different. But then you look at you know the PICERMA, the Post-Katrina Emergency Management Reform Act, emergency management authorities were restored in, in a lot of places. I kind of wouldn't touch it. Yeah, that's. I mean, look at Kelly. So I worked at the National Cancer Institute, and the authorities that I had were not legal authorities. They were authorities delegated by leadership of what we could and could not do. And so um, I, the reason why these things need to be addressed is because uh, part, of the, part of the course that we're doing in August that we keep talking about on the show and keep trying to plug is for dynamic populations, hospitals, college campuses, you know, sports arenas, all that kind of stuff again. Uh, hospital or, uh, hotels. We just had a resort system reach out and say, "Hey, can you look at our EOPs?" That's totally different than public safety, and I, I think it's okay to say, "Hey, there is public safety, Stafford Act, all those all those kind of precedents." But there's other roles and responsibilities. And yet, if I try to do an IEP for my college versus uh, FEMA IEP, totally different. Like it's night and day. It doesn't even make sense, really. Yeah. But the coordination piece does. The, and, and and truly, emergency manager versus emergency management is slightly different. I take great pride in being called an emergency manager, but really, it, it it should be emergency manager plus coordination. Like that should be really the the job function there. Uh, and I, I I will say, John, you know, you know, I, I do agree with you about. Hey, uh, hey Kelly, can you raise your um your phone up a little bit? Yeah, it just went static. There you go. You're perfect. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you about the importance of, of nomenclature and, and the names and what we call ourselves and what other people call us. I think that's important. And, you know, I just read this book, uh, Risk, a User's Guide by General Stanley McChrystal. And, um, Reading it now. Yeah. And, and uh, he talks about the narrative. He talks about what, what, you know, what people, what the narrative that we all say about ourselves, you know, what's that? story in our head that we tell about ourselves. And I think emergency management, it's not always that super clear. I mean, I, I have a sense of it. I mean, I have a sense of, you know, uh, of, of people who are, who are, are, you know, they're, they're, they're mission oriented. They're, they're fearless in a way that, 
they're they're ready to break the rules in in the midst of a crisis if it's going to help people and you know they they are um you know they are um uh the smartest people in the room and they're change agents they lead people through rapid change and when when everybody else is is uh confused you know they're not confused because this is the world that we you know we we get paid to to navigate and so you know, I think there's a, 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 a good narrative there. I think if, if we all um, started to have this shared narrative, you know, I think I think the business uh, would get uh, would, would start to develop quicker. I think the I think in the in the aftermath of COVID, we're a little bit uh, beaten up and banged up. And I think we need to regroup and, and come together. Um, I was I was in this um, uh, this session with Pete Gaynor and, and uh, uh, Craig Fugate. And it was really, uh, you know, th- those guys are, and, and Steve, you know, those guys, and, and I know John, you do as well. And they, you know, they're, they're like, they're like a Steve and I old, old guys, but they've, they've, you know, they've been at the top of the, uh, of, of the national uh, conversation about this stuff. And, you know, they're, th- they say things like, like Fugate says, look, whatever's not prohibited is allowed, you know, in, in the world. And so I think that that's something that we should, you know, take to heart and, we, we always get sort of uh, wrapped around rules and we get wrapped around, you know, what people think about what we might do. And I, I think we just need to be very, um, you know, proactive and, and, and instead of passive in the way we approach uh, our, our profession. So uh, you bring up uh, all those guys uh, that I've had on the show and that I'm seeing in August, interestingly enough. Yeah. Uh, really excited to have them there. Pete wrote an article uh for on GovTech on uh, emergency management magazine i could not if if i closed the, if i closed my eyes and described what i wanted emergency management to be or that or what i what i believe is happening right now in this, this third phase I, I mean he he outlined every single area of importance including most importantly uh, and I, I address this on uh, with uh, Dr. Uh, Jeff Stern for EMI. Yeah, uh, he's a superintendent there. And I straight up said on the thing, I was like, we need to change the level of professionalism in our field. As duties as assigned is not good enough. It is a full time job. It is a track that you can go now from college all the way up. And there's I found emergency management through responding to basically a, a tsunami. Other people find it through different ways, and that's okay how we find it. It can be come from anywhere. But in terms of the progression of standardization and definition, and I can step into FEMA. I'm, I'm actually very competent. I can step back into FEMA, or I could step into a university role because I, I have that holistic approach. And I also have the great benefit of interviewing leaders every single week on my podcast. And so like, I get this like masterclass, personal masterclass of learning. But really what like Pete's talking about and what you're talking about, um, we need to think uh, about the next phase of emergency management. And uh, th- I'm going to say something very controversial for our field. Everyone's going to brace here for a second. I'm okay with emergency managers. Is, I, I, I know I'm going to get so much pushback for this. I'm okay with emergency managers having lights and sirens. And I'm going to say for, the, for one reason and one reason only. Because our counterparts in as first responders and DOD, when we work with them every day, you're talking about being behind the scenes and kind of like the puppet master Kelly, right? We don't get the recognition. 
I will never be a tactician, but I've gone to hurricanes before and I've had gone through 15 different checkpoints before I could actually get to the EOC. Yeah. I feel like it's time for emergency managers. Gosh, it's also going to sound very arrogant. Uh, I really do believe we're the smartest people in the room. Uh, you learned about healthcare. You know all the competencies within healthcare, but you're not a doctor. Uh, Steve, you know everything about utilities and power, and so you're an SME, and you're, you're not doing power. When I walk into a room as an emergency manager, the very first thing I, I try to figure out in terms of writing a plan is what is the capability and limitations of every single stakeholder who's going to be impacting this response? That's the number one thing we do. And therefore, I have a better holistic approach and can help people faster. Um, I don't have more value than anybody else, but I, I believe that I can truly help out this. And I, I'm going to say I, I mean the emergency management field. So I, I think we should be more ingrained and, and to have a little bit more recognition so that our counterparts want to use us more and see us as an equal partner in what they're trying to do. So, John, Kelly and I both come from New York City Office of Emergency Management, and I was fortunate enough to be there at the beginning when Mayor Giuliani created the agency. And if you read Executive Order 30, which creates the Office of Emergency Management, uh, 1996, it, it, it grants a tremendous amount of authority to OEM for on-scene coordination. And that meant that we had to have a lights and sirens division, and we had a team of interagency coordinators that responded out to the scene to ensure that the agencies worked well together. Now, advance in the post 9-11 days and, and advance into, uh, you know, uh, ICS training and advancements of ICS. And I'm, I'm not in New York City government right now. Kelly can speak to this probably better than me, but I'm not quite sure how much how much that's needed. But they still have that division. And that means that OEM coordinators get to the scene and at the very least facilitate, um, stand in the pocket of, of the incident commander, perhaps fire chief or police chief, and, and just be there to ensure oh. that all the agencies are in a unified operating in a unified manner. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's good to hear. And it's good to know that there's, not everybody needs that role, right? But I, I think it's okay to say, hey, we're we're equal partners in this uh, this catastrophic response. And uh, you know, I definitely, as an emergency manager, if I could recognize you guys and give awards to you guys, I would in a millisecond. I'm not a very strong authority on of awards, but uh, you know that if that allows emergency manager to do more, to be more effective in their job, I want to be able to be a catalyst and to be able to help that where I can. And um, I, I've seen, I've been very fortunate to be in multiple different organizations to see leadership recognize, emer recognize emergency management for what it is and to say, hey, can you help us write a plan? Can you help us and be involved? And that's amazing when that happens. I also get maybe 30 emails a week now from listeners saying, I don't have any support. I, how do you do this? How, you know, talking about yeah. emergency plans. And it's like, oh, and I try to give them my tips and my tricks. But if we could also standardize, I don't know, maybe that's not unique to our field of having leadership support. But uh, certainly there's there's more that we can do. How have you both gained leadership support in, in what you do? Kelly, so, I, I get, I, so I guess going out to, uh, I'm sorry, were you calling Kelly? Go ahead. Uh, I was calling both of you. I, I'd love to hear both of your thoughts. Good, Kelly. Uh, yeah, so so, you know, for us, it's really about understanding the mission of the organization and adding value to that mission, right? And that, that's really it. I mean, the, you know, the, 
the the CEO of this organization and my boss, who's the chief of staff. I mean, you know, they they own uh, uh, really. There isn't a, a something that goes on here that that ultimately they don't own in some way. And so my job is to is to um, you know own it on their behalf. And so there are problems that are happening. I'm always watching. I'm watching ahead. I'm watching around. I'm watching, uh, you know, international, national, regional, city, neighborhood uh, at a street level to, to, to watch out and see if there are issues or problems that could impact the, the patient care and the research and the education that we do here. And, and so when I see them, you know, I'm sizing them up. So I do that watch step. I size everything up. Uh, and then if there is something that has a potential to impact, uh, you know, what we do, I notify we activate different parts of the organization in response, and then we operate. And um, that's our process. But, but the, the other thing we do is we add value to their time. So whenever I'm talking to them, you know, when, we, when, I, when they walk away from that conversation, you know, they, they think that was time well spent, right? It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't a waste of my time. And so I'm, I'm, sort of the, I'm sort of the resident uh, contrarian. You know, they, they look at opportunities. They seize opportunities. They, they are, they're entrepreneurial in their, in their mindset. I'm, I'm, I'm paranoid. I'm a professional warrior. You know, I'm the one that, that comes into the room and says, you know, you need to be thinking about this or you need to think about that. And, and people say, well, you know, I'm afraid to do that because then I'll be seen as an alarmist or I'll be seen as a, you know, as, as the, as the downer in the room. And, and not, not the way that, that we present it. We present these reasonable worst case scenarios and we ask them to think about them. Um, and, we, and we put them into tabletop exercises where they have to engage them in the moment. And, and that creates value. And we did that, we've done that uh, so many times. We did that with coronavirus. We spun this place up way, way before anyone else was spun up for it. And then when it hit, you know, they, they didn't have that, you know, they, they, they didn't have that sort of uh, plausible deniability in their minds. They were, they were ready to be nimble and, and move. That's awesome. And, and, and that preparation that you put inside of that to make sure that it was effective in the moment um, by doing small things, tabletop exercises, while on our end, if we want to make it perfect, it can be perfect, but the frequency and just doing it, allowing people to walk through gaps and understanding where their gaps may be so that they can overcome that in a response what a great opportunity um, to get ahead of it. I mean, and especially yeah. with COVID in New York. I mean, talk about an epicenter. Truly, I mean, um, just a, just amazing the fact that you're able to get ahead of it in, in any capacity, let alone on such a large scale. Great callouts, Steve. Yeah. So w w when I went out to work uh, in the utility, this was on the heels of a particularly catastrophic wildfire in the organization felt it needed to do better for the next one. And there was a next one and the next one and the next one, whether it was a wildfire or whether it was a, a, a flood event. Because a, a couple of weeks after I got there, we went into a, a, a disastrous flooding event that actually led to a presidential major disaster declaration. But when I got there, what I did was I formed an emergency management committee of, of doers. But what I did was I went out and I met with the leadership of the organization throughout the organization, the manager in general, manager level, and emergency managers throughout the community. And I find and I asked, what do you need from emergency management, utility emergency management? And outside is, what do you need from the utility? And it was amazing the, the answers I got back. What that enabled me to do was as the new guy on the block, it enabled me to introduce myself 
discuss some of my philosophies, run them past these individuals that whose experience was literally forged in fire, and um, and get a, a clear understanding of of what their individual needs were. I came back, I was able to now share with my team. I mean, team members attended these meetings to me, but I was able to understand what the needs were from the electric transmission and distribution folks because of this wildfire. Well, what happened at the incident command level when uh, they, uh, the incident commander, not from the utility, said, turn off the power to this particular area. And guess what happened when the power went out? The water pumps went out and they lost water pressure and stuff like that. So there had to be more integration of the utility into incident command. So it's about it's a so it's about finding out what the needs are, gaining the respect of the individuals, and then involving them. I'm going to come back and say it again: give them a seat at the table. So everybody had a seat at the table when we developed these plans because they were their plans; they weren't my plans. And when we developed plans for emergency response and restoration for, let's say, one of the utility sectors, they had a piece of it. They owned a piece of it. There was, there's been more than one time uh, where we didn't think somebody was necessary, included them anyways, and found out that they were incredibly necessary. Absolutely. Yep. Capability that we could use. And, and vice versa, when the mistake that you know, people thought we, they don't need X or they don't need Y, and then they realized, oh, oops, you know, in their after action that that capability was there. And so great call outs from both of you. I'm going to end this conversation with uh, with uh, that comment about Thad Allen. Um, one of the most influential moments of my career was when Thad Allen uh, and I were having a conversation and I asked him, how can I do better in my career? And he told me the story of dogs that hunt Yeah. And how he said, I find my dogs that hunt. That's why I didn't hurt Kate Katrina. Find your dogs, find the dogs that hunt. And he was talking to me as if I needed to, to find people. And all I could hear was be a dog that hunts. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Like I was already super passionate. Like I, I, I was already all in, but I was like, I just want to be the person that people want to want to want to call and yeah. to, to be there. And, you know, I, I'm leading this great company now with Doberman Emergency Management and we're doing the, the readiness lab and all this fun stuff. However, if a friend calls me and said, hey, we have a problem, that would be like the happiest moment of my life. Not even about the job stuff, just I trust you. I want to hear your opinion or I want to have your help. And I would be all in. And luckily, because of this podcast, if I was ever in charge of anything, I would be calling Steve. And I'd be calling Kelly. I'm like, oh, I'm finally at the point where I found dogs that hunt. But clearly, both of you have, have done that in your own rights, in your own careers. And, and led two different types of careers. This is really fascinating as a, as a podcast specifically because we have healthcare and utilities and kind of federal slash, you know, private EM. And we're all kind of saying the same stuff. So it is working. It is uh, industry wide and uh, a, a great honor again to have the Kings of New York slash Florida kind of, but you're still New York, uh, you know, on this podcast uh, both of you, if you have final thoughts, uh, maybe we can start with Steve and go to Kelly. Uh, for the for those listeners, you're talking about all these great concepts. You just gave a really great advice. Any final thoughts to them and to how they can boost their career? So, con- you know, I'd say mid-career emergency managers today, a lot of discussion about resilience. Super critical. Don't want to take that away. But I would encourage everybody in the business to adopt 
and practice that crisis management model. That crisis management is going to be critical when that no notice sudden onset event occurs. And if you just spend all your time talking about resilience and recovery and what it's like for a community to, to be restored after an incident, super critical, you might not be prepared for that sudden onset no notice event, that oh my God event that just comes out of nowhere. And that involves bringing everybody to the table that has a perceived role and individuals that you might not even uh, think has a perceived role. Don't, don't be afraid to wake them up. Whatever hour of the day it is, you're the emergency manager or your boss is the emergency manager, wake them up. I remember getting a call one night uh, from an EMS chief. I was a duty officer in New York City OEM. We have a case of Korean encephalitis on an aircraft coming in, and I woke up the health commissioner, started a response to one of the hospitals in Queens, turned out to be not a big deal, but wake them up. But you're waking them up with the understanding that you have a relationship with them. Build that relationship, get them to the table, make them feel comfortable with you. So when you do call them at zero dark 30, they know who you are and why you're calling. Perfect. Kelly, your advice. Well, I would just say, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are tired out there. I think there's a lot of people that worked COVID and they've worked since and, and it doesn't seem like it's slowing down. And there's a lot of people that feel disempowered and confused. And I think, you know, uh, it's going to get better. And I think, you know, I, I just would encourage folks to hang in there and be brave and, and be fearless. And as, as, as Steve said, you know, make that call. You know, don't be afraid to make the ass. Don't be afraid to get people out of bed because... You know, there's no way they're saying no to you in the job. You know, you you're there to to help people, and you're going to break every rule that that uh, that there is in order to do that. And um, so, I, I would just you know, especially the the the, the you know the the people that are just starting out in the business is it, it's you know it's a great business to be in, um, and but it takes perseverance. So so just you know, hang in there, stick it out. It's going to get better. Great advice and uh, gr great, uh, great reminders too for 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 us into the next next phase. Here, we are definitely entering the next phase, and it is going to work out. And every emergency manager that I know, especially the ones that go all in, uh, they whether you have been recognized for that or not, you do have impact. We know you've had an impact. Uh, these guys on the on this call with me today have definitely done it and have seen it. And I have done it and seen it as well. And, um, you know, awesome opportunity to learn from them. Okay, here's the point where I do the shameless plug, as always. Uh, if you liked this episode, which you should have, you got to give us that five-star rating and subscribe. You need to check out us on social media, Disaster Tough Podcast. If you have a question or a comment, if you really like something from this episode, which you should have, they gave a lot of really great content. And put it in the comments section, you know, on, the, on one of our posts or, or, or message us tag them on LinkedIn, whatever it may be, and to say, hey, I, I got something out of this. This is important for me. Let's recognize each other in the field so that we can help perpetuate emergency management. And then lastly, got to call this out, Emergency Management Response for Dynamic Populations, this course that's going to be in Atlanta the first week. The training days are second, uh, third, and fourth. Travel days are first and fifth. can be really amazing, immersive. We have a uh, huge uh, really impactful people coming, including who we talked about today, uh, like Pete Gaynor and, and such. Steve Johnson, head of uh, British Seaburn Division, for example. Really great opportunity to learn and to, to be involved there. So make sure you check that out on the readinesslab.com forward slash dynamic dash populations, I believe. And uh, we'll see you for the next one. Mm -hmm.